Welcome to Theology on Tape, portable Catholic theology for catechists or Catholics who want to dig deeper. My name is Elizabeth and I'm here with Shane. Hello. We are here to talk about the Bible. It's the Bible overview. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we uh, have a prayer, one that I found on the, the app, the Laudate. 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 So we'll begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord Jesus Christ, open the eyes of my heart, that I may hear your word and understand and do your will, for I am a sojourner upon the earth. Hide not your commandments from me, but open my eyes, that I may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak unto me the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. On you do I set my hope, O my God, that you shall enlighten my mind and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not only to cherish those things which are written, but to do them. Amen. Amen. So of the vast Bible, (laughs) (laughs) it'd be helpful for me, since I don't know the different denominations of Christianity that well, Mm -hmm. um, the different versions of the Bible. Translations, you mean? Okay, translations. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. So, well, inversions too, I guess is fair to say. When I think of like King James Version or... Yeah. So I grew up a Protestant. Um, so the Protestant Bible is different from the Catholic Bible, not just in the translation. We can talk about translation, but the the books in the Bible are different. And probably most people know this, but there are seven books that are in the Catholic Bible that are not in the Protestant Bible. So these are books that at the time of the Reformation, uh, the Protestants removed. All seven of them, what Catholics call the deuterocanonical books, that means the second canon, what the the Protestants will call them apocryphal books. Uh, These seven books are all in the Old Testament. So the New Testament, the Catholic and Protestant New Testaments are identical, but the Old Testament for the Catholics has seven more books than the protestant or even like extended books oh and that's also true yeah fair enough uh so a couple of books have additional chapters so for instance the book of daniel and the book of esther again still in the old testament these books in the protestant bible i'm sorry in the catholic bible have additional chapters the what it all comes down to is that the old testament Obviously, this is written before Christ. So the majority of it is written in Hebrew. There are small portions of it that are written in Aramaic, which is a kind of sister language. Aramaic would have been the language that was spoken, for instance, during the time of Christ. So Christ would have spoken Aramaic, not Hebrew proper. Mm -hmm. Hebrew would have by that time already been a sort of ancient language that was only used for scripture. So in the later Old Testament period, Portions of the Old Testament were written in Aramaic, the vast majority written in Hebrew. We have a smaller portion written in Aramaic, which uses the same alphabet as the Hebrew language. But then in in an even later period, there were portions that were written in Greek because the Greeks had come and occupied uh, the land of Israel. And so there are portions of of the Old Testament that were written in Greek. The entire the entire Old Testament was translated into Greek. So the Catholic Old Testament is the Greek Old Testament, whereas the Protestant Old Testament is strictly the Hebrew slash Aramaic Old Testament. So the reason why we have 
these books that the Protestants don't have, it's because we are using the Greek edition of the Old Testament rather than strictly the Hebrew version. Okay. It has nothing to do with like the content, like, oh, we want to cut this part out. Well, yes, the Protestants, of course, have issue with the content, but that's where they make a clean break is anything that's written in Greek in the Old Testament is out. Of course, the whole New Testament is in Greek, but the Old Testament, anything that's in Greek in the Old Testament, the Protestants cut it out. Would Jesus have been literate in Greek? Probably not. So the early sayings of Jesus would have been in Aramaic. And our Gospels are then translations of the teachings of Jesus into Greek, which is why perhaps sometimes some of the things he says, well, first of all, the Gospel writers will often give us what he says in the original Aramaic. So, for instance, uh, when he raises the little girl from the dead, he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl arise. Mm -hmm. But the Gospel writers give us that Aramaic to give you that sense of what he really said, his, his literal words. But there are other little interesting things like, you know, the saying, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. We've all heard that. What most people don't realize is that in Aramaic, the word camel and the word for rope are almost identical. So it's probably more likely that Jesus said it's easier to thread a rope through the eye of a needle. That's an imagery oh. that makes sense because ropes and needles like a rope is like a really big thread yeah yeah. (laughs) whereas what does a camel have to do with a needle so little things like that the aramaic context might give us a little more insight but that's a that's an aside we read i read recently that henry now had suggested that we don't read the bible alone that we read it in pairs or yeah what's the danger of reading it alone it's it's interesting you bring that up that's another kind of common Protestant argument, somebody brought that to my attention just this week, that in the past, the Catholic Church at different times had restricted access to the Bible in the common language, which is a common sort of Protestant thing of like, oh yeah, the Catholics, they want to take the Bible away from you and whatever. But basically, the intuition with that is that the Bible was never meant to be read as private devotion. Think about all of the books of the New Testament. I would say something like 98% of them are written to communities. They're not written to individuals. Mm -hmm. So this is the rule of thumb that I give to people when you're reading the Bible, is that when you hear the word you, you should not interpret that as me. You should interpret it as we. Because most of the time, that's what the word is. Again, in English... We use the word you, both singular and plural, in Mm -hmm. in the same. But in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, these original languages, the word you is either singular or plural. And most of the time in the Bible, the word you is plural. So we are misreading the Bible when we read it individualistically. So when you hear St. Paul say, for instance, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, he's not saying you individually. Each of us were all little temples. He's talking to the community. He's saying y'all. The, it's y'all. That's exactly, <laughs> that's what I tell people. So when you read the Bible, if it says you, say y'all. That's what he's talking about. Y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Y'all are a temple. That's right. See, so together, collectively, we are a temple. That's very different than saying like, oh, here I am walking around. I'm my own little temple. No, 
as St. Peter says, we are stones in the temple. So we all need each other. And that's very true of the Bible. We have to read the Bible in community. We have to read it in the context of the community. Otherwise, we will be reading it out of context. So let's assuming that we are reading the Bible as a group or like in the... Or even individually. Yeah, I'm individually. not saying I'm not saying don't read the Bible alone. It's a good thing. And the church, to be clear, the church encourages it as a private devotion. But we just have to remember that when we're reading it, we have to read it in the context of a community. Even if you're reading it by yourself, you have to, in your mind, consider the context of being a part of the church. So you can read the Bible trying to trying to extract meaning mm-hmm. of what are we here to do? What are we all here to do? Mm-hmm. Is there, there are different ways that we can read the Bible? Yeah, that's a good question. And there are, there are basically two, generally speaking, I would say there are probably two different ways to approach the Bible. One would be what you might call biblical interpretation. Oh, the fancy term for it is exegesis which means like drawing meaning out of the text. What does the text mean? What does it say? Now, if you're asking what does the text mean, that's a technical question. And we should be willing to acknowledge that that is a question best suited for people with expertise. So that's where we want to consult biblical scholars. We want to consult theologians. We want to consult the church fathers and the doctors of the church and the tradition and the magisterium. So if we're trying to interpret the Bible, that's where we would want to say, you don't want to do that on your own. And in fact, St. Peter says the same thing. He says, no prophecy comes by private interpretation. So we're not meant to sit down with the Bible and just cook up some new thing of like this new theory of, oh, here's what I think the Bible is saying. And this, you, we see all kinds of stuff like that in popular culture, the Bible code, you sort of you start reading the Bible like a crossword puzzle and you can find all kinds of stuff. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. That's a fact. And the history of Christianity has proved that. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. So if we're if we're talking about what the Bible means, its interpretation, we have to defer to the authorities in that sense. Mm-hmm. And that's a very kind of Catholic impulse, obviously. But we, we, again, we do it in science. We do it in history. I don't get to just come up with what I think is true about the cosmos or whatever. There are people whose job it is to study those things and we respect their expertise. So what can we do then as private individuals if I wanna read the Bible devotionally? What I would say is don't get hung up on details. If If you find yourself reading the Bible and you're asking yourself a lot of questions about like, oh, what does this mean? What's the history of that? Whatever. Okay, get open a commentary or or find some other resources to help you. But if you're reading the Bible devotionally or prayerfully, try to put those questions away. Don't think of it as, I'm going to figure out what this means. Rather, approach the Bible as an opportunity for God to speak to you. And you realize in that context that you're not giving a definitive answer to what this scripture means, but what you're answering is, how can God use this scripture to speak to me? So that's where we can develop a more meditative, contemplative approach to scripture. where And this is what the, the tradition calls Lectio Divina. This is Latin for divine reading. 
So Lectio Divina is sitting with scripture. Take a small portion. Don't try to read chapters and chapters at a time, unless you're doing Bible study or you just want to read a book of the Bible for your own edification. But if you really want to pray with the Bible, choose a small portion, a few verses, and read it over and over again and kind of soak it in. And then your mind will perhaps uh, gravitate towards a particular word or phrase. And then you begin to reflect and kind of a prayerful dialogue with God and say, what is it about this passage that is that you want to say something to me, Lord? And make it an opportunity, a kind of conversation starter in your prayer. And what you can come away with that with uh, can be very fruitful and very good and very enriching. But again, you remember that you're not then saying, oh, this is what this verse means. You say, no, I had this encounter with God through this text. And in that moment, this is what I believe God was uh, opening up to my heart, something like that. Mm -hmm. So you are like seven years into just your PhD in yeah. theology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then prior to that, you obviously had a lot of Bible study. and Yeah, masters. I mean, I've been in academic study of of theology and biblical studies since 2006. Okay. <laughs> so how long, however long that is. Yeah. So how do you balance those two of studying something so like with historical context, all this stuff, mm -hmm. and then also find it a way to, to meditate and contemplate? Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly what I just said. When I when I sit down to read the Bible devotionally, sometimes it is hard because I have all of these critical historical questions that are bouncing around in my mind. But I practice what I just preached. <laughs> I I quiet those questions. It, it doesn't matter about oh who wrote this? When did they write it? Who did they write it to? Who are the Corinthians? What, tell me more. Those are all very good questions. Those are the questions that biblical scholars ask. But when it comes time to pray with scripture, you can let those things go. And just in this moment, how is God speaking to me, to my heart? It's a very different question. It's an appropriate question. We, we just have to be careful to distinguish the two. Why would you advocate for anyone to read the Bible? on the street <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh well the bible is the word of god catholics have a very high view of scripture i'll say that that when i became catholic my view of scripture and my my estimation of scripture my deference to the authority of scripture increased rather than decreased which might be surprising to people because Protestants typically are seen as the ones who have, oh, Protestants are all about the Bible. But when I became Catholic, I developed an even greater respect and reverence for the Bible. I, I think I developed a greater understanding of what the Bible is and what it means when we say that the Bible is the word of God. Because in Catholic theology, we make a distinction between two ways, two ways in which we know God. We say that we know God by reason and by revelation, which is a fancy way of saying the way we know any ordinary person. I can know you through reason, which would mean maybe I uh, 
do some research about you. I, I see what I see if you have any social media presence or I can do some kind of external research about you and I can learn something about you. But I don't know you personally until we have a conversation and you you disclose something about yourself to me. Mm-hmm. So the former we would call reason. That's just through my observation, I can know something about you. But again, that's knowing something about you, which is different than knowing you. Revelation, where we have this personal, more of a personal connection, where you disclose something about yourself. That's what we call revelation, to reveal something. So we know God through reason, for instance, through science, through philosophy, There are things that we can say definitively about God without God ever saying anything to us. We can just look at the world and say, oh, there must be a God. There must be a God that is good. There must be a God that is eternal. All of those attributes of God are knowable through reason alone. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, even those, uh, those sort of pagans out there in the world the invisible attributes of God are known through the creation, his, uh, his eternal attributes. So his, his goodness, his omnipotence, all that kind of philosophical stuff. We can know that even without the Bible, we can know that. But in the Bible, we get divine revelation, which is not just us knowing about God, but God actually revealing something about himself to us. God communicates to us through the Bible. So that's, that's what we mean when we say that the Bible is the word of God, is the Bible is God's self-disclosure. And it's worth adding one extra level of clarification with that, because the Bible actually uses the, the term word of God to refer to Jesus Christ. Because he is the word of God. Oh, like the Trinity episode? Yeah, okay. So we, we just did an episode about that, that... The Son is the Word. Mm-hmm. So Jesus Christ is the Word of God. That's where we have to start. He is the Word of God. Why? Because He is the divine self-knowledge. He is the divine self-disclosure. So God speaks His Word to us, and that Word is Jesus Christ. The Bible is the Word of God, then, in a kind of secondary sense. Because the Bible is a reflection and a communication of who Jesus is. The Old Testament speaks to us of Christ by way of anticipation. The Old Testament points forward to Christ. And the New Testament points us back to Christ because the New Testament is written after Christ. The Old Testament is written before. And so both of them are converging at this intersection of the life of our Lord, who is the Word of God. So if we want to know God, we have to know Christ, and we can know Christ through Scripture. One, because as we said, the Old Testament not only anticipates Christ, but the Old Testament is crucial for for us because it gives us the context in which Christ is living. Because turn to any book in the New Testament, and you'll not understand page one if you don't know the Old Testament. Matthew begins with a genealogy. Matthew begins with Abraham. Well, who is Abraham? Luke begins with Zechariah Mm -hmm. ministering in the temple. What temple? (laughs) Uh, Mark begins with the prophecy from Isaiah. Who's Isaiah? All of these things. We can't understand Jesus 
until we understand the context of the history of Israel. So the Old Testament is crucial. It's essential for knowing who Christ is. And then obviously the New Testament is essential because it is the fuller disclosure of who Christ is because it's literally his, his story, his word, his life, his teachings. So that's what makes the Bible uh, so important. One of my questions was, um, we don't call everything scripture. We just call the New Testament scripture or is it all scripture? Well, the word scripture literally just means writings, like script. Mm -hmm. Okay. So holy scripture are the holy writings. So that's an, that's what we mean by the Bible, holy scripture. So that's the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. But if we're reading the New Testament, and for instance, when Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, well, what he has in mind when he writes that is the Old Testament. Because at the time of the writing of his letter, that was all of scripture. Because the New Testament doesn't become canonized as scripture until obviously later. So... Yeah, scripture is the whole of the written word of God. And this is the distinction that we can make, is that scripture is the word of God. And on that point, we can agree with Protestants who agree that uh, scripture is, is the word of God. But Catholics add uh, another layer to that, which is that the word of God can also be found outside of scripture. Scripture refers specifically to what is written. But there are teachings of Christ and there are teachings of the apostles that are passed down to us in a non-written form. And this we can see explicitly in the Bible. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, this is a hugely important text because in it, Paul says, So then, brothers... Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. He's telling you to cling to, to hold fast to the word of God, which is either written down or given by spoken word. So Paul wrote many letters and we have a lot of them. But Paul and the other apostles also How many of the letters? What's that? How many? Can we list all Paul's stuff? Can you do that off the top of your head? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Those are the Pauline epistles. Mm -hmm. The other epistles, called sometimes called the Catholic epistles or the general epistles, these are the ones written by other apostles other than Paul. So all of Paul's epistles are referred to by the, their titles are who they are addressed to. So Romans is Paul's letter to the Romans. The other, the general epistles are referred to by the name of their authors. So that's where we have James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. Those are the authors, whereas Paul's letters are named by the addressees. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? And then we have Hebrews, which is uh, sort of in the middle ground because we don't actually know who wrote it. It's an anonymous letter. Some in the tradition have attributed it to Paul. It doesn't seem to be Paul's language. One interesting theory is that it's written by St. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. There's 
some similarity in the grammar and the sort of content. So perhaps it's written by St. Luke, but this is written by an, an early apostolic source, and so it's included in our, in our New Testament. But the point is, Paul writes these letters to us, to the churches, we should say, but he also communicates other teachings through his preaching and through actually being with the churches and, and, and modeling for them the Christian life. And so there are some things that we know more explicitly through the tradition than we know through the written word. Because not everything, as Paul says here, not everything that he taught was written down. And so that's why Catholics have a respect for, a reverence for, not only sacred scripture, but sacred tradition. These are the apostolic traditions that come to us from Christ and from the apostles that were communicated in non-written ways. So when we say tradition, sacred tradition, we mean with a capital T. That doesn't just mean like, oh, this is our tradition. This is how we do things. No, when we say tradition, sacred tradition, we're talking about these are the teachings of the apostles that are found outside the writings of the New Testament. Nowhere, there's no single verse in scripture that says Sunday is the Lord's day. It's never articulated that plainly. But we know that the apostles were teaching that Sunday was the Lord's day because if you go back and look at the early church, they were all observing Sunday as the Lord's day. So where did they get it from? Well, they got it from the apostles, even if none of them wrote it down. And that's how we can know things by way of tradition without them having to be explicitly stated in scripture. That's a good example. I mean, the Bible alludes to it. Paul says things like, on the first day of the week, take a collection for the poor. And John will say something like, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. But it's never spelled out explicitly that Sunday is the Lord's day. But we infer it from tradition. This was like a really broad overview of the Bible. Because this episode could have been easily like, 10 hours long or oh something. yeah there's always well as jordan peterson i mean yeah go listen to a jordan peterson lecture on the bible and they're they're hours and hours long just getting through you know one verse yeah so this is a and he's not even a theologian yeah <laughs> this is a very broad overview of what is the bible but in the coming episodes we're going to start looking at uh more specifics so what i really want to hit on in the coming episodes is the high points of the biblical narrative so we're going to look at the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Abraham, the story of Joseph, Moses, what I take to be the really high points of the biblical narrative. And that will be a good way of, of kind of at least having a basic biblical literacy so that we know who are the important characters, what do they do, and why is it important for us. And then the commandments that are going to, that are revealed in the Old Testament. And then also from the Old Testament, which we're going to be working our way through, is the Ten Commandments. So we'll have a whole series on that uh, related to, you know, we had just, we just done an episode on sin and confession. So we're going to talk more in more detail about what, what are the Ten Commandments and what sorts of things are either commanded or prohibited by them. So that's, both of those things are, are upcoming. All right. Thanks for listening to Theology on Tape. If you have any questions about something we've covered or something you want us to cover, email us at theologyontape at gmail.com.